join together in prayer. Heavenly Father, I give you thanks for the people of this church. I give you thanks that your church uh, is about people. And I pray that we would always keep that at the forefront of Bellwether's life. Uh, different people who have different stories uh, that come together, uh, be united by your spirit. And then we have a story together. And may we never forget that it is not our story, and it's really not about Bellwether. It is about Jesus and his story and what he has done and what he is doing both in us as individuals, in our local church, but in the world to raise his kingdom until he returns. I pray that you grow that faith in me. I pray you grow that faith in this church. Thank you for what you've done here and what you will do. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, if you would turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to read a passage first. Ephesians 2, verse 17 through 22. And as you're doing that, let me just say this as well. That, uh, yeah, I was at uh, the football game last night. And it was... Uh, Ended up being heartbreaking, but uh, I had a great experience there because I was sitting with uh, a good friend of mine who was a pastor, or who is a pastor up in Oxford, and man, we were talking about uh, just, man, it's 60 plus thousand, you know, I mean, it's like, you know, everybody's cheering and, you know, the growth, I mean, all these people come out and see pastor church in Oxford, and he says, yeah, you know, I get a little disheartened. I mean, as do I, honestly, but it's the reality we were saying, you know, the church is always going to be like behind the eight ball in terms of what, you know, I mean, whatever's cool or, or popular or, or, you know, the thing to do. I mean, I saw two-thirds of our church family in the Grove, which is great. And, you know, and they're going to church, you know, this morning, you know, I'm certain of. You know, we, we want them to be here. It, it's just part of the deal. And, you know, the pastor in Oxford, he said, you know, I'm, I'm actually, there's a guy going to my church who teaches at Ole Miss, and he teaches uh, American religious history. And he started off the class this fall semester with a question, is SEC football a religion? And the answer that he gave, not the class, was just an affirmative yes. But he said he made a distinction. It is a religion. And what a lot of folks look for in religion is, you know, the community and is the family and is coming together. He said, but SEC football is not the church. And the church is something very different than religion. And the church will give you something that nothing in this world can. Uh, as I talked about earlier, everything in this world, from this world, will, will ultimately uh, disappoint. Uh, whether it's our football teams or our toys, maybe our families. There's one thing that will never disappoint us. And, and you can push back. You probably will. But you're like, no, I've been disappointed by Jesus. So we're going to talk about that. But the one thing that will never disappoint us is not of this world who conquered death, who is alive now, and it's Jesus. And you see him most. And this is something you might push back to. You're like, I see him in my deer stand. Okay, I got you. You see him most in his church. It's plan A. There is no plan B. We talk about this over the next six weeks. But you're probably at Ephesians 2 now, so don't listen to what I say, because I don't know much, but God's word is much more alive and vital for us. So Ephesians 2, verse 17 through verse 22. So he, he being Jesus, came and proclaimed peace 
to you who were far and peace to those who were near. For through him, Jesus, both of us have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and members of the house of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as a cornerstone. In him, the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. As I said, as Joseph said, we're doing a series, we're starting a series today, and it, is, it might be the most important series that, that I've ever preached at Bellwether. I'm not, I'm not saying it's going to be the most powerful, but it is, it is very vital to the next chapter in our life of the church, and that's why we're going to be preaching on the church, who we are, who God's made us, both as a church and as a community called Bellwether. And we're calling it Witnesses. And we don't have the scripture up on screen, but if you have a program, the verse on your program is where the name comes from, Acts 1.8. Jesus says, last words before he ascended, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses. And he says, you know, you will go to you know, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. But to be a witness, you have to have the Holy Spirit first come upon you, live in you, and that is what makes the church the church and us his witnesses. Another quote that I want to share with you all, and this one's going to be up on screen. A guy named Charles Spurgeon, who was like a megachurch preacher before there were ever megachurches, preached to tens of thousands in London in the 19th century, called the church, the local church, the dearest place. The dearest place. I think we've got the whole quote. Here it is. Look at this. The church is not an institution for perfect people. It is a sanctuary for sinners saved by grace, a nursery, I love that, a nursery for God's sweet children to be nurtured and grow strong. It is the fold for Christ's sheep, the home for Christ's family. The church is the dearest place on earth. The church is the dearest place on earth. Now, I would argue or attest many of y'all or many in the Bellwether family uh, don't believe that, that the church is the dearest place on earth. People have been hurt in the church very badly. People have been burned by the church. People have been stabbed in the back by the church. Uh, I teach a Bible study on Wednesday mornings called Radical. And a couple of weeks ago, somebody asked, I mean, who's here because, you know, they were burned or, I don't know, didn't like something about another church? And like two-thirds or three-quarters of folks, you know, raised their hand. Fairly common. You know, I think it's very tough for folks who are looking for a church in our culture today because what you'll have is like, I mean, it's like a buffet line at Piccadilly. I mean, my mom and dad, they love Piccadilly, and we hit Piccadilly every time they're in town. It's like, hey, you know, I want that, and I want this. I'll, I'll get this from this church, this from that church. And, you know, hey, I like the worship here. I like the preaching here. Um, oh, I like the way they do missions. Oh, they, they're a real tight community. And so it's like a smorsborg, and we want our, our buffet line, and we'll... You know, pick and choose. Um, you know, just a couple weeks. I mean, somebody from another church was saying like, well, you know, this is my home church, but I really love how Bellwether does these mission trips. I'm going to go with y'all. I mean, I want to go with y'all. You know, that's good at the same time. Uh, it's not biblical, honestly. Because like, if you're committed to this church and you're fired up about this mission, then maybe God's putting it on your heart to get that mission in your church. Uh, but, but people, we pick and choose. So it's real hard like to 
like commit and you know find a church home. That's why I applaud y'all who do commit and stick and say, God's landed me here. Come hell or high water, God's landed me here. When we started Bellwether, you know, there was like 30 of us, and many of us, including myself, made this statement, hey, we've got an opportunity, we're going to do church right. We're going to do it, we've come from places and we've seen it done wrong, so we're going to do church right. And I'm like, you know, give me 30 minutes and a sermon, and I'll, I'll show you, we'll, we'll do something wrong, you know. I mean, seriously, give us a week, we'll do something wrong. Give us a month, you know, somebody's going to be hurt. And that's because, I mean, we have always tried to be authentic and real that, you know, people are broken, but at the same time, we were broken then, and thinking like, you know, yeah, we're going to do church right here. It, it didn't take long for us to realize, you know, we're kind of in the same boat as everybody else. Some folks have come here, and immediately, they're like, this is the perfect place. It's not the dearest place, like, this is the perfect place. I've come from somewhere, you know, I've seen the church politics, I've seen things done wrong, I've seen, and here, it's perfect, it's perfect. And give them a month, you know, give, give them, I don't know, three months. Like I say, give me 30 minutes, and it won't be perfect. I mean, you can laugh, give me 30 minutes, you know, in this sermon, and something won't be perfect. It's okay. And I really don't want you to come in ideal like this is the perfect place, because it is not. And if you're perfect, you just, you won't fit in here, you know? So, I mean, we want everybody to, like, stay, but if you're perfect, you probably should leave. No, yeah, and, but the thing is, none of us are perfect. But if you're thinking of yourself perfect, then, yeah, it's probably not going to be a fit. I would love you to think of this church, the local church, as it's the dearest place. I'd love to even say, this is the dearest place in my life, like in my life here. And, and honestly, that is what God intended the local church to be. Warts and all, flaws and all, that this is the dearest place. And say, well, well, why or how? Because the church, when it is the church, you realize that your story becomes our story, which is actually Jesus' story. And that's being lived out. Because all of you have a story. We saw Gage's story. We're going to hear other stories. All of us have a story. But it doesn't end there and it shouldn't end there. I mean, I have a story. I mean, my story in my Christian life is, you know, raised in a small country church. Love that church. Still think of that church as the dearest place. Uh, not everything was perfect, but love that church. And then moved away from the church, honestly. I mean, still thought I was like Christian. You know, I had my uh, Christianese talk and... You know, I felt Jesus, you know, on the baseball diamond, you know, not on the deer style, on the baseball diamond. Or I felt Jesus, you know, when I was maybe reading a C.S. Lewis book, and I'd do that with a smoke, and like, can I, I mean, seriously, like, act all intellectual. Like, oh, man, you know, don't, don't, hit, don't criticize me, you know, man. Judge not. You know, that was my favorite verse. Judge not. You know, who are you? So I was going that, I was like, the church, hypocritical, you know. And the biggest thing I would say and this might be the most important thing I've ever said from the pulpit. As I would say in my mind, who needs Jesus when I got me? Say it again. Who needs Jesus when I got me? Because, you know, I was good. I, I could get into good schools. I could work hard. I could get a job. You know, I had the future life. I don't need Jesus. I got great ideas. Great philosophies. Yeah, I'll try to live like that. But I don't need Jesus. And so God worked in my story to bring me around, even as I've been pastor of Bellwether, 
to prune some things in me that like needed to go and to grow some things that had to grow. If I was going to be a Christian, if I was going to be a pastor, and he, I'm not saying I'm changed, I'm saying he is in the process of changing me. So my story has become intertwined with, with our story, with Bellwether's story, and I'm seeing his story lived out in our story and in my story. Many of you have your story. Like I said, we saw gauges. And a lot of it is you come here it's like, man, you know, I'm tired of fake church. You know, I like authenticity. You, you got it, okay? That's your story. Man, I like missions. You know, let's go serve. Let's, let's go around the world and serve. Like, okay, gotcha. Man, you know, I've never been a spiritual leader. I want to try to be spiritual. And we've, you know, man, God's blessed us with, with men who really have, have never been spiritual leaders and, and seen them raised up as leaders here. And so that's a lot of people's stories. But I want you to see that your individual story, it's much greater when it's our story. And it's even greater when you see our story together as, as Jesus' story. But again, don't take my word for it. I want to try to show you this in Scripture. So the first thing, we've got three points here. First is your story. Should be up on screen. Your story. And it, Paul really lays it out in the first couple verses of Ephesians that we read, 17 and 18. Said, so he, Jesus, came and proclaimed peace to you who were far and peace to those who were near. For through him, both of us have access in one spirit to the Father. You're like, what does that have to do with my story? It says, he came and proclaimed peace to those who were far and those who were near. Here's what I'm talking about. Y'all have a story. Some of your stories is very like near grew up near to God. And it was the same thing back then. Paul was writing to Jews who were like near to God and Gentiles who were far off. So some of us, and I'd put myself in here, are, we grew up near to God. We got a family, raised in the church. Maybe they forced us to go to Sunday school or forced us to go. To, maybe some of y'all here are forced to come. I, I get that. And they're like, you know, some of it starts to like trickling in. And, you know, maybe you went to, I don't know, the, you know, the Bible memorizing Sunday school class and you start learning scripture. And, you know, maybe you went to, to youth camp or the youth trip and had a powerful experience. And you're, you're like near, but maybe your faith is really not your own. I mean, maybe you're like, you know, maybe you're an adult and you've always been near. And even like, you know the verse before I say the verse. You're like, I'm doing this series on church. You're like, hey, I got it. Ephesians 2. I know what you're talking. I mean, you like know scripture so well. You're, you've been that trained. You're that astute. You, you got it. You're near. But maybe your salvation, maybe you don't have salvation. Maybe your faith is like your parents' faith or the church you grew up at faith. Or, you know, you've never had that experience. And maybe you're like me. Who really needs Jesus when, when we got us, when I got me, and know it all? And so many of you are, are near. And Paul's saying he proclaimed peace, brought you to him. And then there's others of us in our church that are, that are far, that are like, you know, far off. And these, you know, not raised in the church. And, you know, you could classify these like, you know, the addict. And, you know, I'm not just talking about drug addict or, you know, alcoholic AA. I'm, I'm also talking about, hey, maybe, maybe porn addict or... 
you know, sex addict, or maybe, you know, when it rolls around every weekend that hour, you know, you pick up the phone and call that person you should not call to come over at that time and do the things you shouldn't do. Maybe you're addicted to that. So you're far from God. Or maybe far like, you know, agnostic. You know, I got my mind and, you know, I'm well trained in something, well trained in the law or, I don't know, medicine or arts and, you know, many gods and all that. And, you know, come on, man, you're not preaching to me, you're not going to proclaim to me. And, you know, judge not. That's your favorite verse. You're far off. And Paul's saying here, man, he's, he's coming, he's, he's bringing you in together. So we have people at Bellwether, thank God, that were the near and... We have people who thank God with the far, and nobody, none of us have yet to arrive. What I'm trying to say here is that's many of y'all's stories, and there's no difference. There's no difference here. God's bringing them all together as his church, this church in Ephesus. Whether you're near, whether you're far, he's proclaiming peace, and by his spirit, we have access to a father who will never forsake us, Leave us, loves us, sent Jesus, saved us. Whether you're near, whether you're far, whatever your story is, there's no difference. But it doesn't end there. That's your story, but it gets better when your story becomes our story. Becomes our story. When I go down the passage, read verse 19 and 20. It says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. But you are citizens with the saints and members of the house of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. You know, I love, I love what people in theater and drama call ensemble pieces. Like, what's an ensemble piece? It means like, you know, it's a story. Could be a TV show, could be a film, could be a play. And yeah, there's like a central lead, but it's really an ensemble. It's really like all these characters together. I'll give you a couple examples. TV shows, it's kind of an oldie, but I used to like West Wing. West Wing, Center in the White House, it's really an ensemble cast showing different character stories. Uh, another show some of y'all might have liked, I loved it, Lost. Lost was, you know, you had this wide canvas, each show would tell a story and it was an ensemble piece. Now, a show we love, we love it, Duckworth, Downton Abbey. Really love it, love it. Ensemble piece. You have these characters. Uh, a film would be Ocean's Eleven. Love, Ocean, 12 and 13 weren't that good. Ocean's Eleven, the first one, was, was great. And you got this team, and they're, you know, they're 11. And a great example, though, of an ensemble piece is actually on, on stage, a musical which I love. Some of you may, may laugh. It's great. Les Mis, Les Mis Rob. And there's one song called One Day More. And if you've seen the movie or seen the play, it is so well orchestrated that it sh- I mean, it's just, it's awesome. Man, I get chill bumps thinking about it. Because you have the lead actor like Jean Valjean and Javert, but you have all, the, like even on the stage on, on Broadway, you would have, you know, different people come in and like pipe in their note or their tune or somebody over here. And, and as the song, you know, reached its climax, they would all come together, and I'm not going to sing, but it was like, you know, the whole cast and all their stories being sung out. I get cold chills. And they come together and they, you know, it's, they're singing together. It's an ensemble piece. I say that because church, when it's the church, is, it's an ensemble piece. 
I mean, it's certainly not about me. It's not about, you know, any leaders. It's about your stories. But like on stage, like it's all those different stories coming together, singing as one. But they're very different stories. Just like, you know, the characters in the show or the movie, they have different plot lines. They're different stories, but it's really our story. And, and these verses lay that out. So, you know, now you are near, you're far off, you come together, you have access. So now you're not strangers, aliens. You are children, children of God, with the saints, members of the house of God, citizens. Like, you know, we all feel camaraderie in being citizens of, you know, one country. Members, we have membership, we have access. We are all together. We are united. It is our story. A lot of individual stories coming together as one. And then it goes even further, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, built on the foundation of the disciples. Let me flesh this out more. There was another TV show back in the 80s, some of y'all may remember, it's called Highway to Heaven. Probably wouldn't air in this day and age, but in the 80s I had it and it was like an angel, you know, a Christian angel, uh, Michael Landon. And Victor French, who before Little House on the Prairie. Anyway, but so they were, you know, highway to heaven. He was an angel. And there was one episode, I'll never forget this. There was one episode where a man came down and was talking to Michael Landon, who was the angel. Anyway, he revealed himself as like Peter, as as Saint Peter, you know, Peter the Apostle. I'll never, I remember this, I was like probably nine years old. I remember it like it was yesterday. And Michael, the angel said, Wow, you know, what did I do to have, you know, such a high authority, you know, come down and hang and. And I thought about that. Even as a kid, I was like, one day I'll meet Peter. And I'm not like, one day in, in the Christian faith, we'll meet Peter. That gives me even more cold chills. I mean, like, you'll meet Paul. You know? You'll meet the disciples. You'll, you'll meet Jesus. But these people that, you know, laid this foundation were part of their family, too. It's not just about Bellwether. You're in Peter's family. You're in Paul's family. You're in Timothy's family, who was pastor of this church. You're in Mary, mother of Jesus, who went to this church in Ephesus. You're in John, the disciple, who went to this church. Now, you're, it's our, our family with Jesus as the cornerstone. And that's the last point, is that it's great that you have stories. It's great when they become our stories. But it's even better when we realize that our story is really his story. It's Jesus' story. So I want to read verse, the last two verses here again, 21 and 22. It says, in him, let me say that over and over, in him, in him. It's all about him. It's all in him. Everything has to do with it. It's in, we're all connected in Jesus. We live because of Jesus. We're here because of Jesus. Anything we do will be because of Jesus. It is in him. The whole structure, we're building a structure over there on that property, is joined together. It's not wooden nails, it's Jesus. And grows into a holy temple of the Lord, in whom you also are built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. In him, and then some words in those verses, well, a word, I want you to keep it together. In him we're together. Any individualism in that? Any lone ranger? Any, you know, independent, cool, you know, together, together, together. We're one because of Jesus together. That's why the Bible, and we're going to be teaching this over the next six weeks, says over and over again, not just love God, not just like do your quiet time. It says love one another over and over 
and over Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another. Together, love one another. Go back to Les Mis. You're going to say, you really like Les I do. I really like Les Mis. The last words of the last song before they end into the chorus, Jean Valjean is being led by Fantine to heaven. She's an angel. She comes down. And they sing together. To love another person is to see the face of God. You want to like see Jesus? You want to see God? Love one another. Live together. Do this thing called church together. And love one another. Now you're like, so what? Okay, great, so what? Uh, here's what. For you individually, and I don't know if you're near or if you're far. I know some of your stories, I don't know them all. But for you, your story is much greater than you realize. I mean, if you have Christ, if you're, your story is much greater than you realize. Let me say that one more time. Your story, your life story, is much greater than you realize. But it will not be fully reached to the capacity it could be unless it's in the context of a local church doing life together in Him as Lord and Savior. But your story is much greater, and God will use it for great things, whether here, whether at work, whether calling you to ministry, whether overseas. It, it just, it is. That's, that's the deal. We're all missionaries. God calls all, and He wants to use us, everyone, whether for children for adults, for teaching, for mission, for worship. That's, that's the gig, and it's great. It's hard, but that your life has so much more meaning. So, so what does that mean also? Well, first, commit. And that is counterculture in this day and age when we want to go through the Piccadilly line and pick and choose. Commit. And, and, you know, it's like, hey, it may not be here. I mean, and that's cool. We always say, like, we just want you to commit to a local church. But if God's leading you here, we want to say, hey, we want you to commit. We're in, the, in six weeks from now, we're going to share a new covenant. We're asking all of us, myself included, and we're going to teach on this to renew our covenant together as we take this great step moving to our new property. But to commit, say, I'm going to do life together. God's calling here. Warts and all, don't have all my questions answered, but I'm going to commit. That's number one. And then, what else? So what? It's important how we treat one another here. Um, Give grace readily and easily. Uh, forgive often. Uh, speak softly. Uh, you know, I love the book of the letter to James, where you know, once it's out, you know, the tongue's like a viper. It's it's gone. Speak softly, because church gets very, very complicated. Very, trust me, I know, because you have a lot of relationships, whether big or small church. You got a lot of relationships, so a lot of people doing life together, and then like you know, people start dating, and then they like break up. Uh, or then, like, you know, people get in business together, and we're all friends, and, hey, I can use your money. But then it, like, goes, you know, I don't know. It, you never know how those things go. We've had, you know, those things happen. Uh, you have, you know, there is gossip. Gossip's real, so somebody talks about somebody else, and, you know, that happens. You have affairs. Wish you didn't, but, you know, it's like there is sin, like there is a real we suck all this and you know it just it's fleshed out all this happens it's in every church that's why like you know give grace forgive speak softly like take the church as what it is which is Jesus' bride he loves it so much more than we do he loves Bell with us so much more than 
than any of us could. He doesn't want us to hurt one another. He wants us to reconcile, like be restored. And the problem is, so much, is that the culture of the world has integrated the church instead of the culture of the church affecting the world. And I'm guilty of that, and probably a lot of us are guilty of that. But we have a plan, a model in Scripture of the way it's meant to be, and the church can affect the world. So what does it mean for us? Our story is much greater than we realize. A lot of folks would say, you know, what's, what's Bellwether's story? Oh, Bellwether's story, you know, man, a couple of folks started the house and, you know, courthouse and ag museum and, you know, had the finding office and JA and wow, and now we got this property and, you know, man, we're a real community and worship and we're authentic and, man, we're going to miss you. That's our story. No. Our story is much, 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 much greater. You know what our story is? Our story began Acts 1 8, the verse on the program. And Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses. Our story continued when the church was birthed in the upper room in Jerusalem. Our story continued when a church started in Antioch. Our church story continued as a church grew around the Middle East and the Mediterranean world. Church in Ephesus, church in Corinth, church in Rome. Our story continues as it grew, even into Asia as Thomas went to India and through Europe. Our story continued when we moved to the New World. And yes, they're, they're break-off stories, and our story continued when John Wesley led literally like a movement, and we're no denying a movement spread like wildfire of evangelism and discipleship in these new countries, in these new territories, in these new states. Our story continued when, you know, a church started, I don't know what the date was, maybe 1947 or so, Christ United Methodist down there. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, God worked through them. Our story continued when a church started in Tupelo in 98 called The Orchard. Our story continued when other pastors and, and mentors, I won't even name, started churches and pastored as an impact to this church. And our story continued in 07 when a couple of folks met in a house, in 08 when we launched. And now we're doing all these things that we would say our story is. And our church will continue to grow, not just in like a property, but, but all over the world. And will continue and continue with connections to other churches until the Lord comes again and heavens and the earth unite. That's our story. Your story is much greater than you realize. Our story is much greater than we realize. So I want to close today, and each week I'm going to give a specific invitation. I mean, you know, we all, we're going to have communion. We're going to invite you up, and, but I want to do something different each. And, you know, look, we always, you know, Accept Jesus in your life. You know, like, we believe that. That's not... But I want to get real. I want to get specific. And so today, my, my invitation is... Um, ushers, I, I'd ask you not to... And I don't think Heisel's here, but he'd love... Ushers, you don't have to move people down from the back. I want you to come as you're ready to take communion. But the invitation is not just to take communion. I know a lot of you, because I know some of your stories, uh, have bitterness... And maybe it's from another church, maybe when you're a kid, maybe the last church you went to, maybe it's from this church, but there's like, like bitterness in you. And you're like, well, how do, you, how do I know? How do you know? One way to know that is uh, if, you have, if you have trouble like being excited or happy like when good things happen, maybe to people or to a church, you probably got some bitterness somewhere in your heart. 
And I want the Holy Spirit to wash that away. And I can't do that, but we can at least offer an invitation for it. Whether it's, you know, a home church or something happened in a church or this church. Man, we really want it gone. We want it healed. We want it restored. So my invitation is, you know, the worship team will play. Come as you're ready to take communion. You know, anybody. And then my specific invitation is, is lay that bitterness at the altar. And that's really step one. Step two is more, it's, it helps me when I actually tell someone, like speak it out, like, you know, so-and-so, man, I'm bitter about this. I'm bitter about this person. So after you lay it at the altar and give it to God, and you may not be able to do this, like, you know, in the next five minutes, but maybe at lunch, maybe this afternoon, tell someone. It, then that is healing. That is that's why we're together. Tell someone in this church, let it go. Let the Holy Spirit. So that's our invitation. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, thank you for your church. Thank you that you bring healing. Thank you healing is in your hands. I, I know there's some brothers and sisters that need healing. I pray that your, um, uh, your word from Scripture uh, would invite them uh, to let it go. I pray they would see that uh, our desperate need for Jesus. Uh, I pray I see that more and more over and over. And we see that in communion, that we lay things at the altar that need to be there. And that we commit uh, to a family, uh, to your family, uh, to your nursery, because you're ministering to us here. And we are, we are children, we are sheep. And I pray that we, this would become our dearest place, the, the dearest place in our life. And, you know, not perfect, you know, warts, flaws, a lot of messiness. But we would speak softly, we would give grace, we'd give forgiveness readily. And it would be so, so dear to us because it is so, so dear to you. In Jesus' name, amen.